This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, everyone. Welcome into the Pipeline Podcast. Tim McMaster here along with MLBPipeline.com's Jonathan Mayo and Jim Callis. We're going to look at some prospects off to hot starts this week, including players on the MLB Pipeline Prospect Team of the Week. And we're lucky enough to be joined by one of those players as Austin Allen, a catcher for the Fort Wayne Tin Caps in the Padres organization, is joining us. And what a start Austin is off to in his first 10 games of the year, hitting 547, four doubles, a homer, 10 RBIs. And first off, Austin, thanks for joining us for a few minutes. Yeah, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Austin, I know it's your first full season in pro ball. To get off to a start like this, has it kind of been a whirlwind? I mean, you've got to be riding high as far as confidence goes right now. Yeah, you know, I'm pretty confident right now. I'm comfortable up there. Um, you know, my approach every single day is just trying to get a ball up in the zone and some that I can hit hard. Austin, you were known as kind of an offensive-minded guy coming out of the draft last year and it didn't, you know, light up uh, pitching like you have so far this year in your pro debut. How difficult was it making that jump from, from NCAA uh, Division two to uh, short season uh, ball and pro ball? Was there a, a noted difference in competition, or what was the biggest adjustment you had to make? Um, I would say just, like, the pitching was more consistent. You know, um, Division two, it's pretty much like seeing a Friday night guy every single night. So um, the big thing for me was – sticking with the routine and staying focused, which, uh, you know, I struggled with at first. Um, got into some bad habits, you know, but then, um, like, if you look at the second half, then I started, like, getting more comfortable and got that confidence back and did much better. Awesome. I've talked to guys who've come from, from smaller programs or maybe they weren't that heavily recruited, uh, even heading into college, uh, and they play with a little chip on their on their shoulder. Is there a part of that that motivates you to sort of show people that uh, you know people may have uh, missed the boat on you both then and and uh, you know even the early early rounds of the draft last June? Um. Yeah, you know I'd be lying if I said that there wasn't. Um, there was probably some of that my freshman sophomore year of college. Um, you know, feeling like I was overlooked. But then going into my junior year. Um, being in Florida, which is just a hotbed of talent, um, I realized that if I did good, then I would be able to get the get the opportunity that I've always dreamed about. Um, you know, and I, I want to be one of those guys that, like, are the success stories that come from the smaller schools that are overlooked. Um, you know, like I've talked to Carlos Aswahe, who's with us now, and um, when I was, like, a freshman, and he told me just, like, no matter what happens, just go out there every single day and give it give it your all. Austin, you mentioned how the, the quality of pitching was, you know, more consistently good when you got to pro ball. What does that meant for you defensively? Uh, you know, obviously, you're handing a, a pro caliber pitcher every night when you're behind the plate, and 
know, talking to a lot of catchers, they talk about how much the, the defensive responsibilities weigh on them. Obviously, they haven't taken away from your bat this year at all, but how do you feel your, your defense is coming along, and what adjustments have you had to make on that side of the game? Oh, uh, behind the plate, I feel so much better this year. You know, it just goes back to being comfortable behind the plate and uh, up the bat. Um, like this off season, I was fortunate enough to work with like Francisco Lindor and just ask and, you know, just talking to him, even though he plays shortstop, I was like, Hey, what do you see that Jan Gomes does? Um, like Salvador Perez, like who you played against, like, what do you see that they do? Um, you know, so trying to learn off that. And then, you know, I'm blessed with, um, some very, very good guys right now that, um, that just pound the strike zone and they help me out a little bit. What about the game calling aspect? I know a lot of times uh, college guys don't even do that much uh, in, in college, uh, if at all. Did, did you call games uh, during your college days, or is that a, a new skill that you've kind of had to add on the fly? Uh, yeah, I called it a little bit in college. Um, you know, and then if I ever looked towards the dugout, there would be like a suggestion, but I'd say probably like 75%, 80% was on me. Um, you know, that's one thing that I'm still trying to – like perfect my craft at, um, you know, so whenever, like after an inning, like some happens, um, I'll talk to the coaches and see, like, just talk about the situation, what pitches could have been called here or there and just trying to learn every single day. Uh, Austin, I always like to ask guys, uh, about the players they've they faced. Who's the best player? Yeah, I know you've only been in pro ball for a little bit more than a year. Who's the best player you think you faced in pro ball? Either, either, a Pitcher you faced or an opponent you've seen on another team? Um, I would the best pitcher I faced. Hmm. Uh, during spring training, we faced um, is it Dylan? Yeah, Dylan Tate with the uh, Rangers. Faced yep. him, and uh, you know he just had easy mechanics. Like he was just he was throwing hard that day too. So I would say like. And he was hitting all of his spots. He was, uh, he's been one of the better pitchers that I've faced. Well, luckily he's in the South Atlantic League and you're in the Midwest League, so you don't have to worry about him for a little while. <laughs> yep, good. Uh, my last question for you, Austin, is uh, you know, where on, on, your, on the list of career achievements do you put being named to the MLBPipeline.com Prospect Team of the Week? Oh, that's huge. <laughs> you know, um, in college I was fortunate enough to – receive All-American honors, you know, all-conference and everything like that. But um, that's definitely up there. <laughs> well said. <laughs> Jim, do you have anything else? No, I think I'm all set. Thanks, Austin. Austin, great stuff, man. Thanks so much for taking some time for us. All right, thank you. Uh, I want to give a shout-out to Camp Sports Meter and all the boys. All right, sounds good, and good luck the rest of the season. All right, thank you, guys. Appreciate it. That was Austin Allen, Fort Wayne tin caps, and what a start he's off to. I gave his through 10 stats, but right now through 12 games, he's hitting 558, five doubles now. He's driven in 13, so red-hot start, and obviously he's a backstop as well. And Austin Allen, a member of the MLBPipeline.com prospect team of the week. And that's a list that's highlighted actually by three players in the Rangers organization. Uh, I know you guys want to talk about a couple of these guys each, but let's go through the full list. 
Allen behind the plate. Your pitchers are Sean Manaya from the left-handed side and Max Poves on the right side. And then Tyler White's at first base, Travis Demerit at second, Joey Gallo at third, Trevor Story at shortstop, and then your outfield is Mike Pappy of the Indians, Donnie Deweese of the Cubs in center, and Nomar Mazzara. So it's a mix of guys that are in the minor leagues and guys that are off to great starts in the big leagues as well. Jonathan, let's start with you and Sean Manaya, who we've known about for a while. Obviously, he was a big first-round draft pick, the lefty with the A's now, and he's off to a great start. Yeah, he really is. He had a, had a great spring. I mean, kind of hung around camp you know, for long enough where you started to wonder, is he going to somehow win a job? You know, it, it made sense for him to, to go down to uh, the minors uh, just because he's not thrown uh, a ton of minor league innings, uh, injuries, and, and things of that nature. This is a guy who had a, a really good Arizona Fall League, uh, pitched extremely well, uh, probably had the best stretch of his pro career after he was traded for Ben Zobrist uh, from the Royals to the A's last July. Uh, and he's continued to, to pitch extremely well up at the the highest lefty, uh, I'm sorry, the highest level. So I'm, I'm thinking of lefties, uh, and he's been probably the best left-handed pitching prospect in terms of performance so far. Uh, just given up a, a couple of runs, he's won both of his starts. Uh, probably the most impressive thing is the two walks and 17 strikeouts in 12 innings uh, and only 10 hits. And he's a guy who sometimes the walk rate can get up there. Uh, and it just seems that everything, the longer he has stayed healthy and just been able to, to get into that routine, uh, the sharper his stuff has become, the better uh, his, his command ha has come along the way. And uh, I think you're probably going to see him in Oakland at, at some point before too long. Jim, Travis DeMerritt is the second baseman on this team, one of those Rangers guys. First-round pick in 2013, and his numbers that contributed to his spot on the team through his first nine games, uh, 378, 415, and then a 1,027 slash line. Uh, he scored 14 runs, a couple of triples, six homers. I mean, he's filling up a stat sheet. Yeah, he went deep twice in each of his first two games of the season, currently leads the minors with six homers and 10 extra base hits, and you mentioned former first-round pick. Actually, the compensation pick they got when they, they lost Josh Hamilton as a free agent and broke into pro ball, you know, very promising first full year, led the South Atlantic League with 25 home runs as a 19-year-old, went back there to begin last season, only hit five homers in two months before he got suspended for 80 games for testing positive for performance-enhancing substance. So it was kind of a great year followed by a very disappointing year. He's, he's got the power back. I mean, he's an offensive second baseman. That's his ticket. The power's real. You know, it could be a potential 25-home run guy by the time he gets to Arlington. You know, I think the key for him is going to be making consistent contact. I mean, he's always struck out, even this year, off to a hot start, struck out 20 times in his first 50 plate appearances. But, uh, you know, he's, he's taken to second base. He has a strong arm. Uh, you know, high desert's a great place to hit. It, it wouldn't surprise me if he had a 30-home a run season this year in the Cal League with, with his ability to backspin the ball and his – his quick bat and just the way the ball flies in the Cal League, I could see him among the minor league home run leaders this season. Jonathan, you took the left-handed pitcher, so why don't you go with the righty as well? Max Posey, he's an interesting guy. Um, but I think, uh, you know, just going back for a second to what Jim said on, on Travis DeMerit, I just thought it's a new, I think it should be a new tagline. The power is real and it's spectacular. <laughs> um, anytime I can make a Seinfeld reference, you know I have to. Uh, so Max Posey is, is an interesting guy. He's uh, He's a big dude. He's six foot eight and all of six foot eight. I actually saw him 
uh, in spring training uh, through the one day I was in Braves camp. Uh, and it was impressive then, and he is out of the gates uh, very impressive now. I and mean, people may look at his numbers from last year and say, well, I don't know. I mean, he was, he was good in, in the South Atlantic League, and that was his full season debut. And then he earned a promotion up a level, and he got knocked around. And then he got shut down just because uh, he was tired. He had some shoulder fatigue, uh, went through the whole rehab process, uh, worked on strengthening things up, on, on conditioning, things of that nature. And, and uh, really the, the Braves, what he's done so far, they think this is kind of just a continuation of uh, the work he put in the offseason and how he threw before he, he ran out of gas last year. Um, you, you know, he's mostly fastball changeup. The, the curveball is coming. Uh and uh, and he's been throwing it well so far, and it's hard to argue with the numbers. You know, he hasn't given up a run in 13 innings. He's only walked two, and he struck out 14 while giving up four hits. Uh, you know, he has looked like uh, not only is he ready for the Carolina League, but uh, that he's ready to master it. Now, obviously, two two starts does not a, a season or a promotion make. And, and you know, when when all is said and done. Uh, you know, he could be a middle-to-back-end rotation kind of guy in Atlanta. And, Jim, finally, the last guy we're going to focus on on this team of the week is Donnie DeWeese, roaming center field in the Cubs organization. Uh, he was a second-round pick just a year ago, already looking good at the pro level. Yeah, no, he definitely is. He had a big year last year at North Florida, led NCAA Division One in slugging with a 749 percentage and ranked second hitting with a 422 batting average. And, Putting up similar numbers in early going the Midwest League, he'd be leading the league in several categories, if not uh, for our podcast guest earlier, Austin Allen, who's in the same league. But, you know, I, I'm a big Donnie DeWeese fan. I, I, I like the tools. I mean, he's got hitting ability. He controls the strike zone very well. He's, he's walked more than he's struck out uh, so far this year. And I know that's a small sample size, but he struck out just 16 times in, in 60 college games last year. He, he's got power. He's got speed. He can play center field. You know, he's got a well below average arm. That's the big knock on him. It's, it's, you know, it's playable in center field, not ideal, but the rest of the game's pretty good. Uh, you know, he's not going to continue to hit 400, but this is a guy who can, can fill the stat box in several different categories. And while the Cubs have several tremendous young position players, you know, all the way down their organization, starting in Chicago down through low class A, you know, I think he's got enough skills and tools to eventually claim a job somewhere. You know, maybe it'll have to be as a fourth outfielder as low as the Cubs are, but he's got the tools and the skills to eventually claim a spot on that very talented Cubs roster. Uh, as far as this team, prospect team of the week that I know you guys have every week, I love the fact that it's both guys playing in the minors and prospects that have, have come up to the big leagues. Uh, Jonathan, was that always the plan when you guys came up with the idea to do this list to to go with prospects regardless of, of where they were, minor league or major league? Yeah, I mean, we, we uh, bandied that about for, for a little while, trying to decide what we wanted to do. And I think the, the end decision, we even kind of recirculated that conversation uh, recently after this uh, first uh, patow, as we like to call it, uh, came out. Um, you say that like the old Batman show? Yeah. Um, I can see uh, the bubble. Yeah. Um, that uh, as long as someone is still on a prospect list uh, and hasn't graduated off, they should be uh, able to be, you know, used in, in, in this weekly sort of quote-unquote award. 
it's rare that it happens that you have as many big leaguers, you know, as we did this year and or, or hybrid, you know, Nomar Mazar was a little bit of what he did in AAA and then what he did once he got called up. Uh, granted, this was a 10-day period instead of uh, one week. Uh, you know, we may go over the course of the rest of the season and not have that happen all that often, um, only mainly because guys don't typically – come up and just go off to the point where you want them to be on a on a team of the week kind of thing but uh i i like doing it because you know if uh, a guy who is no more mazara gets sent down tomorrow he's still very much a prospect and back in the mix so to remove him just because he, he's at the highest level uh doesn't didn't really make a whole lot of sense to me and jim it's impressive not just that there's this many guys playing in the majors on this list i think but that it's the first one of these and that that many guys were able to get off to this kind of start to the season in the major league level, right? I mean, this seems a little rare this year, what we've seen from Tyler White and Trevor Story and, and Nomar Mazzara right out of the chute pretty much. Yeah, no, it definitely is. It's like I, I, I want to say I, I don't think we had a, a single week last year where we had three big leaguers on the team. And if we had more than one or two weeks with two, if that, I, I'd be surprised. Obviously, their degree of difficulty is higher um, you know, and it's funny, you know, we, we could have gone in some different directions. Trey Mancini with the Orioles and Alex Bregman with the Astros had great weeks and, and got aced out by Tyler White and Trevor Story. But, yeah, you know, like you guys were saying, just a very unusual, you know, fast start by a number of rookies. And, you know, since the American National League started giving out the Player of the Week awards in 1974, this was the first time ever that two rookies got the award in the season's first week. You know, Trevor Story and Tyler White did that, and that was the first time that had happened in 42 years of the award. So I think it's just an unusual start to the season. You know, we had last year's historic rookie class. I don't think this one will keep up with that one, but they're off to a nice start so far. And you can check out the Patau, as Jonathan put it, on MLBPipeline.com throughout the year. Uh, we won't always be focusing it on it on the podcast, but it'll always be there on Pipeline.com. And speaking of guys getting called up, let's swing the attention to that. Not guys that are in the majors, but I want to know from you guys who you think are going to be the first prospects called up to the big leagues from a top 100 prospects level. And, Jonathan, I'm going to start with you. Who do you like to be the first guy to get the call to the big leagues? You know, if I were going to pick just one, uh, I really would go with Trey Turner, uh, the Nationals. Uh, everyone knows the story, the worst-kept secret in terms of player-to-be-name-laters in a trade and how to spend half a year with the Padres waiting for it to become official. And he made it up to the big leagues last year. Honestly, if it were me, he'd be the Nationals' starting shortstop right now. Uh, you know, he competed for the job in the spring. Uh, Danny Espinosa, the veteran, was given the job. Fine. Uh, you know, I know it's small sample size. Things have just gotten going. But Trey Turner in his first 11 games in Syracuse, hitting 357, 449 on base. He's even slugging 548. Uh, he's got four steals. They have speed as his, his best tool. Uh, this is a guy who could really make a difference at the top of the lineup, uh, and he's ready to play now. Uh, winning team, you know, championship level team, not competing team, it it, it doesn't really matter. Um, you know, meanwhile, Danny Espinosa is hitting uh, about a buck fifty, and he's got a four something OPS. He's not performing well. Uh, you know. I would think that calls to bring Turner up will start getting a little bit louder uh, if, if those trends continue. 
again, you know, you don't want to draw conclusions over a couple of weeks. But uh, for me, you know, I always thought Turner to be the better option at shortstop for the big league team anyway. Uh, so, you know, I, I think it's a matter of when and not if Turner is called upon to take over. I know I've talked to Bill Latson about this, our Nationals reporter, and, and he continues to say that the Nationals just go with Espinosa because of the glove, because of the defense. How is Turner's defense coming along as far as playing shortstop at the big league level? Because it seems like, I mean, clearly the numbers are clear that Turner's going to be the better guy in that lineup. Um, and it's a lineup that's kind of been inconsistent outside of Bryce Harper, so they could certainly use that bat. But it's the glove that's held him back to this point. Is the glove almost there? The glove is fine. I mean, yeah. he's not he's not a gold glove caliber, but he can stay at shortstop. There was some concern uh, about that. Uh, he's got more than enough range because of his speed. He doesn't have a plus arm, but it's enough arm to play short. Uh, is he going to show up on top plays? I, I, Maybe not. I mean, his athleticism will allow him to, to do some things, I'm sure. Uh, but imagine having Trey Turner in that leadoff spot, getting on base and getting in a scoring position on his own uh, in front of Harper, uh, you know, in, in terms of their ability to score runs. I, I really think, and they may downplay that, uh, you know, in Washington, uh, that their current manager has a very long track record of preferring veterans over uh, prospects. Uh, for better or for worse. Sometimes it makes sense, sometimes it doesn't. In this case, I think it doesn't. Yeah, and you would think that, the, like you said, the longer the numbers continue to be as vastly different as they are, the more that pressure will build, and I think eventually we'll see that move. All right, Jim, switching over to you, who do you like to be the first prospect called up? Well, I've got a diatribe. It's not on my the, the level of the, the Jason Groom uh, suspension diatribe I unleashed <laughs> on the podcast last week, but... I still don't understand why the Twins don't promote Jose Barrios to the big leagues. Uh, I, I, didn't, I never understood why they didn't, didn't do it last year. I know they didn't necessarily expect to contend last year, but they did contend for wild card. He dominated double-A. He dominated triple-A. He led the minors in strikeouts. I know they had an innings cap on him last year because he was a younger guy. But at some point, it would have made sense to say, let's get some of these innings in the big leagues and let it, instead of just letting him deal. I mean, he was in triple-A. Second half of last year, 2.62 ERA, 83-14, strikeout to walk ratio. I don't know if there's anybody in the upper minors who combines his stuff, combines stuff and polish like 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 Berrios does. You know, certainly not in AAA. And you know, this year I, I do. I will admit in spring training, the command was not you know as sharp as it usually is. He does have seven walks in his first two starts, but he's he's given up you know two runs. In his first couple start in his first couple starts in AAA, he, he's still missing a lot of bats. They're off to a terrible start. I don't, I don't know. I, I thought they overachieved last year, so I don't know how realistic it is for them to contend this year. But either way, he's going to be up at some point. The rotation has not been the biggest problem on the team, but Tommy Malone's been getting knocked around enough already. Guys should have been up last July, last August, last September, opening day. Bring Jose Barrios to the big leagues. Let's see what he could do. He very well might be the Twins' best pitcher from the starting pitcher in that rotation from the day he arrives in the big leagues. So it's not Jason Jason Groom level ire, but uh, I, that one still perplexes me. And if you give me a little more time, a bit more time, I could probably get even more worked up about it. Yeah, the more time that goes, maybe the, uh, <laughs> the level of frustration grows as well. You mentioned the tough start for the Twins, Jim, and. 
Maybe that's an understatement. They were 0-9 to start the season. They've, they've won some games now. They actually got a sweep over the weekend. But do you think the bad start at the Major League Club helps Berrios' cause or hurts it as far as getting called up? Um, I don't know if it really matters because he basically came into this year with nothing left to prove in AAA. I, I'm sure the reason, uh, you know, yes, the Twins, the reason they sent him down was to fine-tune the command, which wasn't as sharp as usual in spring training. But he's so good. They don't have a lot of guys who miss bats in that rotation. That's been a problem for them for a number of years. He misses bats. He throws a lot of strikes. He has three pitches. I mean, there's really nothing he needs to do. I think it's going to be more – when he's ready, they just need to push somebody aside. And obviously, I, I'm not running the Twins, just like Jonathan's not running the Nationals. I would push someone aside right now, but I don't think the start plays into it too much. Although, like I said, Tommy Malone isn't pitching that great. You, you know what he is. To me, he's more of a stopgap, an emergency type of guy at this point. He, he's not going to be a guy who's going to lead you to the playoffs. Get Barrios up there. And like I said, I, I think he'd be their best pitcher from the day he walks into that rotation. Yeah, and this team needs something to, to kind of spark their season, and maybe a call-up of Jose Barrios would be just that thing. All right, guys, the, the coverage of the draft, the upcoming draft in June, is kind of gearing up a little more. I know next week the top 100 draft prospects will be out on MLBPipeline.com. The 50's been out there. This will be another 50, plus kind of reworking that original 50 as well based on what has happened uh, in the time during this spring. So it's, a, it's an exciting time. So I wanted to talk to you guys a little bit about who's really on the move as far as that draft list goes, whether it be guys that are jumping into this 100 or, or even higher than that. So I want one guy from each of you. And, Jonathan, let's start with you. Who do you like as far as helium goes? Because I love using that term also. It's a, it is a fantastic term. Um, you know, it, it's interesting. I realize that, you know, Tim and I split up the country in terms of how we divvy things up. And it, it, it ends up being fair more often than not. One of the, the more interesting things uh, with some of the areas I have, I have the Northeast. Um, so I, I think I get a lot of pop-up guys just because they don't start playing until a lot later. Um, than a lot of uh, than a lot of people. Um, that said, I think I'm going to go with a high school pitcher from California. Uh, when, when all of a sudden I'm going to sort of reverse course, there there are, there are a couple of bats. There's actually a high school hitter in Pittsburgh in the Pittsburgh area, Alex Kirilov, who uh, is likely to be a first round pick, and uh, he narrowly missed our top 50 in, in the fall. But Matt Manning is a is a guy uh, from from California who. Uh, you want to talk about helium, he has some major helium. Uh, some people putting him, you know, in the top 15 picks kind, kind of, of helium. And this is a guy who uh, not only wasn't top 50, but wasn't even, uh, you know, in the, in the conversation. He's extremely athletic. He's a basketball player. Uh, had played in the NBA. Uh, he is tall and uses every bit of his frame. He has a chance to have a really, really good uh, power repertoire uh, was really lighting up radar guns uh, during the spring, up to 96, 97 miles per hour. He's got a really good hard power curve that goes with it. Uh, he's shown some feel for a changeup, so he's not all power. He's more arm strength than than pitchability, uh, but there is some feel for pitching, which uh, makes him uh, more exciting than your typical projectable. Uh, right-hander that athleticism helps him repeat his delivery which is important given that he's six foot six uh you know he might 
add some more strength. So, I mean, who knows, there might even be a little bit more uh, in, in the tank. Uh, so people were really running in to see him uh, in Northern California. And he's been fairly consistent while there have been a lot of other high school pitchers who have been a little bit up and down. Uh, so just by comparison, uh, he, is, he has stood out even more. And I think that's why uh, we've been starting to hear his name you know, up in that sort of top half or at the very least in, in the first round conversations. Jim, who stands out to you as far as a guy who's really on the rise right now? Yeah, I've got a guy who, who similar to, to Manning, wasn't on our top 50 uh, back in the winter, but now has a chance. He, he's a high school pitcher. He's pitched himself a chance to go in the top 10 or 15 picks. Uh, Joey Wentz from uh, Shawnee Mission East High in Prairie Village, Kansas. And uh, I want to say, Jonathan, you wound up covering the junior home run derby last year, did you not? At the All-Star I Game? I did. Joey Wentz, uh, you, you may remember, hit, a, a, I think, a 543-foot shot with a – now, they were using souped-up metal bats, but he hit a absolute bomb in that, uh, in, in that competition early on the Sunday morning of, of All-Star Week. Did not pitch at all last summer. He had a dead arm. Uh, took, you know, just all he did was hit. He went to – you saw him at the Under Armour game. He, he did a bunch – he hit the showcase circuit as a, as a power-hitting first baseman. Had a chance to maybe go third to fifth round uh, in, in that regard. Uh, spent the uh, got on a throwing program, nursed his arm back to health, and he's been uh, pretty you know pretty spectacular all spring. Uh, left-handed, consistent, 90, 92, touches to 95s. I think there's more velocity in there. It's, it's a big six foot five frame. There's a lot of run on the fastball. His size can creates a lot of angle, makes it difficult on hitters. He's uh, his size also helps him stay on top of a curveball that's got good depth to it. He's got a changeup for fade. Talking to scouts have seen him. They think he could have three-plus pitches once he's fully developed uh, you know, and throw harder. Has good body control for his size, good athlete, uh, clean arm action, so he should throw strikes and be able to, to stay healthy. Uh, you know, Yesterday was a big day in Kansas. You, you had He was pitching, and right before he pitched, Riley Pine, who was our number two prospect coming into the year, and will probably be that when we when veil the top 100. Uh, also a high school pitcher in Kansas. A lot of, a lot of big-name scouts, scouting directors, cross-checkers were into – to see both those guys yesterday, he was not as sharp yesterday, more kind of 89-92, had 13 strikeouts against not very good competition. But I think you know that was just kind of a stumble, and if he gets back to pitching like he has for most of this spring, he, he's going to go somewhere in, in the middle of the first round and, and maybe even sneak into the top ten if he finishes strong. Uh, standout year as far as the state of Kansas goes uh, and the draft. It's, it's kind of cool to see that. Um, I think that's going to do it for us here, guys, on the Pipeline podcast for this week. Jonathan Mayo, Jim Callis, thanks so much. Thanks, Tim. And everybody, tune in again next week to our next Pipeline podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. 
We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 